sober living homes, the way I do it, I put 10 beds in the house and I charge 175 when I started. Now I'm charging 195 at full capacity at uh, $7,800 um, that you can make gross a month on sober livings. What if I had a house that had 10 beds? So you now know you can go get 10 more clients, but you're going to pay me the same thing, whether there's zero people in that house or there's 10 people in that house. Mm. How does that sound to you? They said, that sounds amazing. We'll take five. I was the landlord receiving $50,000 a month doing nothing, being a landlord, ideally five bedrooms. And I do an, a market analysis um, of the area you want jobs in the area that these guys, um, a lot of these guys come to you promise to pay, meaning they have no money, they have no job, they have no skills. And me, I give a lot of opportunities to these guys because I was that guy and a place gave me that mm -hmm. same opportunity when I first got sober. Um, so you want to make sure that there's a lot of jobs that are available in the area. Mm -hmm. These guys don't have transportation. So you want it to be close to uh, public trans uh, transportation and you want it to be close to a grocery store so they can get their food. Mm -hmm. um, you want it to be close to uh hospitals, you uh, detox facilities, uh, AA meetings, NA meetings, you want it. So I have a whole a market analysis that I use. Quick, a buddy of mine, this is the behavioral health side. He does uh, veteran old people home, does different things like that. He had 15 homes. He bought the properties and uh, created the home and he got it up and going. All of the houses full within eight months, found an investor, sold it for $30 million in uh, less than a year. Hey, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got the legend. I got Patrick Legginsoff, the sober investor, like king of sober living in the Phoenix market. I first met this guy uh, through the Sub2 community. He's in the Sub2 mastermind group as I am with Pace Morby. And when I first heard Patrick's story, it was touching, it was inspirational, and I'm so glad to bring him onto the podcast today, man. Patrick, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Man, thank you for having me. I'm excited, man. Uh, I love uh, doing the affordable housing and uh, your podcast, so I want to open up as many eyes as possible to uh, what is out there and uh, the help that is definitely needed. Yes, man. Like when, when I first heard about what your strategy was, I was thinking like, whoa, the numbers on this is astonishing but at the same time what we do on this podcast is right we want to share with people how you can get involved in affordable housing and that means you can be a single mom and pop landlord all the way towards a multi-family new construction ground development and bringing you on today i think is going to open so many eyes up to what the possibilities are out there for people that want to get affordable housing but also have a mission behind it and i think maybe let's start there dude let's let's go through your story man like Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you even broke into silver living investing, man. Uh, so, yeah, um, had a troubled uh, childhood, troubled background. Mom was uh, an addict. I became an addict at a very uh, young age of 11 and um, was in and out of juvenile detention and um, just was all about that lifestyle. And that's pretty much all I knew. And um, I was homeless multiple times before I was 18, um, high school dropout. And then uh, when I turned 18, I caught my first felony, um, was homeless again. And then 
did some moving around, but nothing really changed. And my mom, she ended up uh, going to prison and she got out and she was introduced to AA um, and got sober. And I wasn't so sober and um, living on the streets out in Tennessee called her. She flew me out here and um, I still didn't get sober right away, but she was the manager of a sober living home, a traditional sober living home. And I seen how many people it was helping. Uh, it was like a 43 bed facility, very little overhead. And she gave me the numbers and me, I'm, I'm always about numbers. I started, my, my wheel started turning and I'm like, this place is grossing half a million dollars and they own it outright and they only pay two people to run this thing. I was just like, holy moly, this is crazy. Um, and so that sparked something in me. It didn't happen till a lot later. Um, but at that point I knew I always wanted to uh, be in real estate, but, um, in 2013, I decided to get sober and um, I started my first company, uh, like the first three months of getting sober, um, was working a lot of different odd end jobs, uh, was doing well. My first company was a vaping company. I did six figures in my first year, um, which is more money than I had ever seen. Um, and that quickly didn't, it, it didn't last. The first year was the best year. And then it was a race to the bottom. And I knew I always wanted to get into uh, real estate. Um, in 2019, between my wife and I is my worst year financially. Between the two of us, we made $30,000. And that's because I decided uh, to no longer put money in work before uh, my family. So I decided to put uh, God, AA, family, friends and then money and that order. And it was my worst year financially, but it was the best year spiritually. Um, got closer to my God. It was my best year uh, in AA. And it was my best year with my family. I got to go to the soccer practices. I got to go to the dance recitals and it was uh, amazing. But with me not working 10 jobs, I had time on my hands and I pursued um going to get my real estate license. And me, I am a three-time felon and I wasn't sure if it was going to be even possible. I knew my end goal was to do sober livings. Uh, I put in the work to set aside my felonies. I did the school, uh, two weeks of the real estate school, passed all the tests, uh, got my record set aside and um, ended up getting my real estate license. Um, uh, and the person who I hung my license with, it was a, a God shot. Um, I ended up uh, hanging my license with Steve Trang, which is huge in the real estate world, wholesaling world. And um, I was willing to do whatever he told me to do. And he introduced me to mindset. Um, he introduced me to wholesaling. I tried the whole wholesaling. It wasn't for me, but I ended up meeting my mentor, um, my business mentor in real estate. He owns 215 properties in Arizona by himself and uh, another God shot there. I met him. I was still working at a restaurant and met him there and pitched him the idea of a sober living. And he wasn't too fond of it at first, but by the end of uh, him at that restaurant, he said, meet me here with this amount of money and I'll give you an opportunity. 
I got my first sober living of February of 2020, and I had 10 of them by August of 2020. Hold on, hold on. We got to back up a little bit, Patrick, because that is an amazing story, man. How I think what I want the listeners to realize is one, you didn't, you didn't dwell on your past. You said I could have had all these excuses to not be successful, but you kept finding a way. And you mentioned you were at a restaurant when you found this opportunity, right? I'm sure there's plenty of folks out there that are working as bartenders, servers, et cetera, that are trying to get out quote unquote. Right. But maybe they're looking at things like a completely different way. Like I used to help run a restaurant, but I wish someone told me that instead of looking at my guests, or my customers as like, hey, how do I maximize my tips? What else could I do and bring value to them, right? Can I raise private capital for them? How did you get into those rooms and how did you get someone to notice you? Tell us a little bit about that. So I guess I, I will back up to the story of how I met Steve Trang. So um, I was still bartending. I was doing catering bartending. I was bartending mansions, uh, corporate parties, very large, successful people. Um, were hiring me to bar, uh, bartend for them. Um, and uh, just by chance, I was in the process of setting my record aside and I was still bartending and serving. And uh, I was setting up a bar and I seen a cornhole game and it had like a, uh, a logo of a house. I looked it up real quick and I was like, oh, it's a real estate company. Steve Trang owns this company and that's my connection. And so I don't know how to speak real estate at this point he comes back i was like oh so you're in real estate he laughs he's like why are you asking man and i was just like i lied i said i have my real estate license and i haven't hung it yet i had passed all the tests but i was waiting for my record to be set aside um and he giggled and said do you realize the largest investors companies real estate companies in the country will be here tonight wow. and I was like, he's like, you hit a gold mine pretty much. So everybody who came up to my bar, hey, what are you doing real estate? Hey, what are you doing real estate? And mind you, this is Jamil Damji. This is Templeton Walker. This is uh, Steve Trang. This is Elijah Rubens, um, Zach Keeps. Uh, all of these people are there. And I'm just listening to these conversations. I did my YouTube research of... Uh, astro flipping and wholesaling and all of this. I thought it was a complete joke, a gimmick. Yeah, right. <laughs> Me listening to these conversations at that party that night, I just flipped an eight unit for 800,000. I just did this. I just did this. And I'm like, oh my God, this is real. I'm going to do whatever I can to be a part of this. And Steve Trang at the end said, hey, call me on Monday um, to come talk about hanging your license with me. Uh, again, I didn't, I lied to him. I didn't think there was any hope. Um, a week later, my record had been set aside. I called him. I hung my license with him. Uh, wow. two weeks later, again, this was my worst year financially. I have no money. Um, two weeks later, uh, I do his disruptors course where he teaches you how to wholesale. That was $5,000 that I borrowed against a credit card. Um, it was a fire hose at my face. I had never made a cold call in my life. And, but I put into action this sh stuff they told me to do. I start sending out text blasts and all of these things. Um, I found a deal at this point. I think I have a deal and it's like a house worth 800,000. They only want 600,000. I'm like, Oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> um, somebody within the brokerage said, reach out to this guy. And this guy was Zach keeps. 
I talked to him. I sent it to him. He's like, oh, I'll take a look. An hour later, I'm serving tables. This guy walks through the door with roses in his uh, hand and his arm. And I'm like, why does he look familiar? I go back to my phone and it's Zach Keeps, who I just sent that deal to. And I'm like, oh, my God, I paid a server $20 to wait on that guy. And I pitched him the idea of uh, sober livings. Um, so with me catering and bartending, me, it's a great opportunity to talk to people. But especially at the catering and bartending level, these people are successful. They're there to have a good time. A lot of times it's an open bar. And even though I'm, a, I'm trying not to say this word, I'm an introvert. I, I'm not good at talking to people. Um Nothing bad has ever come from a conversation. I've met some amazing people just at networking events like, hey, what do you do? Um, and so using all these opportunities, these people, of course, it's going to benefit you for getting to know them, benefit your tip. But there was people that I met serving in real estate that I am now doing deals with. Um, they remember me from serving. And I got their phone number. And now because of where I'm at, they're like, remember you waited on me. And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Um, but always use an opportunity. I was at the airport the other day. I seen a guy. I knew he was an influencer. I I've seen him everywhere. And me, I'm shy. I don't want to talk to him. I was like, forget it. I'm going to say something to this guy. I was like, hey, what's going on? I know you, blah, blah, blah. He has over... 20 million followers across all videos. And uh, I had the opportunity to have lunch with them. And um, I don't know what's going to come of that, but just from me talking to the guy, I got his personal phone number and it's just crazy. I didn't know he even lived in Arizona, but he has, uh, I got him on one of my friends' podcasts. And hopefully when I start my podcast, he'll come on mine and you never know who you're going to meet. Man, that's like one of the best stories I've heard. It, that, that's why I told, uh, I'm saying this is so inspirational, man. Because you, this wasn't luck, man. You were prepared for the opportunity when the opportunity came up. And you maximize the opportunity everywhere you go. And I think this is the perfect example of how the right environment really provided you with those opportunities. Like you got yourself in the right rooms. And when you were in the right rooms, you said, hey, I want to make a change. And you made that change happen, dude. Oh, my God. Dude, this is such a great story. This is why I wanted you to come onto the podcast and share that because people have no excuses anymore. They're like, look, if you don't think you have any skills, go create friendships with people in the right room. And just like you said, nothing bad has ever happened from starting a conversation. On the, uh, the flip side of that, too, when I mentor people or when I'm coaching people, the laws of attraction, uh, the more you talk about it, the more it's going to come to you. You start thinking about yellow cars, you're going to start seeing ye more yellow cars. At that point, before I had met Zach, I had called 100 for sale by owners, uh, for rent by owners, trying to get my first sober living. And I was mm. telling everybody, I'm doing sober livings. Do you know anybody? Hey, sober living, sober living, sober living. And I put it out there in the universe. So if you are trying to start a company, if you're trying to be a wholesaler, if you're trying to be a fix and flipper, tell everybody, I'm a fix and flipper. Tell all of your family members, even if you don't know what you're talking about, right? Do videos. I'm a fix and flipper. I'm a, a wholesaler. I'm a private money lender. Start talking about it. And the more you talk about it, the more it's going to, it's going to come back to you. I love that, man. So, I mean, let's get, let's get right into the meat of the discussion, man, because I think a lot of people listening right now probably want to understand from you. Hey, sober living sounds cool. It sounds noble, but 
can actually make money for it. Because sometimes people think like, oh, you know, if you're a nonprofit, I, it's really for a good cause. You don't really expect to make money from it. But you are tremendously successful now. So let's talk about a deal, man. Do you currently own a property? Do you sublease properties? Do you do both? Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and currently working on from the silver living side? I'm doing both. But in the beginning, just for you guys to know that house of that guy that I met, he told me to meet me here with this amount of money. I borrowed money. I had no money to my name. I borrowed money from my mom and my wife's mom. Uh, and they let me borrow $5,000 and that's all the money we had to our name. And I bet on myself. I knew I was going to be successful. I wasn't reinventing the wheel and I knew that I was going to do this. Um, and just to give you an, another perspective, I borrowed that $5,000 in February of 2020. If that doesn't ring a bell to mm. you, I, the house was completely full within two weeks. Things were great. But February of 2020, COVID happened. I lost my serving job and every single person in that house lost their job. But I didn't kick wow. them out. I uh, just worked with them. I always put the person first. As long as you put people first and their needs, like the go-giver says, the more you uh, help somebody out, not expecting anything in return is when your life flourishes. Um, and it just so happened there was a temp agency around the corner uh, Amazon was hiring every single one of my people inside that house, got a job at Amazon caught up and everything worked out. Um, so in the beginning guys, I had no money. I sublet all of my properties. Uh, those first 10 sober livings were all sublet and I kept rolling the money, uh, over and opening another one, opening another one, opening another one. And, um, things, uh, were good. I ended up uh, cutting a deal with a company. They did something different than sober livings. I, I want, I want to separate the two sober livings. And when I talk about it is self-pay out of their own pocket. And then there is behavioral health homes, which is insurance paid. And they're two completely different things, kind of in the same realm, but that's how I am going to split up the two. In the beginning, I was doing sober living homes, sober living homes. The way I do it, I put 10 beds in the house and I charge, 175 when I started. Now I'm charging 195 at full capacity. Um, shoot, um, I just changed my uh, fees for the first time in three years. Uh, so at full capacity, we're looking at uh, $7,800 um, that you can make gross a month on sober livings. Um, there was a company that I was housing their people in sober livings and they were unable to take on more people. They were a commercial clinic that was taking insurance and I wanted to solve a problem for them. I was like, why can't they, why can't you take on more people? They said, because we don't have enough beds for them. And I was just like, what if I had a house that had 10 beds? So you now know you can go get 10 more clients, but you're going to pay me the same thing, whether there's zero people in that house or there's 10 people in that house. Mm. How does that sound to you? They said, that sounds amazing. We'll take five. I was like, shoot. I was like, how about you pay me 10,000 a month for these houses? They said, or I said 10,000. Then they said, they'll take five. I was like, dang, I could have charged more. But, <laughs> um, I was the landlord receiving $50,000 a month doing nothing, being a landlord. I was like, this is amazing. Um, so I was running five of them as that. And then I was doing the other sober living. So um, 
in my first so year. Let, let, let's, let's pause it real quick because I want to make sure I break it down for the listeners, right? So you said you had a home that you turned into 10 beds, 175 per bed per home. What kind of home was this? Was it like a four bed, two bath, five bed? Like give paint the picture for our listeners on like what is it that you're actually turning into silver living homes because they if they're trying to look for, to do this themselves, right? They want to look at a property the same way Patrick would look at a property. Um, ideally, I mean, five bedroom is, I give a room to a manager. Uh, he gets his own room, but I don't pay him anything. He lives there rent free and he does a lot of different things, um, for me for rent to have free rent. But, um, in the city or the, in Arizona, you have to have 50 square feet per person in a, uh, in a room. So if a bedroom is a hundred square feet, you could only put two people in that room. So ideally it comes down to the size of the room. I've made four bedrooms work. I've converted a, uh, a room in a three bedroom to, to do a four bedroom. Ideally five bedrooms end up is what you would like. Um, I don't personally like, um, bunk beds, but there are some cases where I had to use bunk beds and a company requested them. And so I use them, but, uh, ideally five bedrooms and I do an, a market analysis, um, of the area you want jobs in the area that these guys, um, a lot of these guys come to you promise to pay, meaning they have no money. They have no job. Mm. They have no skills. And me, I give a lot of opportunities to these guys because I was that guy and a place gave me that same opportunity when I first got sober. Um, so you want to make sure that there's a lot of jobs that are available in the area. Mm -hmm. These guys don't have transportation. So you want it to be close to uh, public trans uh, transportation and you want it to be close to a grocery store so they can get their food. Mm. Um, you want it to be close to uh hospitals, you, uh, detox facilities, uh, AA meetings, NA meetings, you want it. So I have a whole a market analysis that I use when I'm going into a new area. Um, and for jobs, are we talking about, you, you mentioned hospitals, right? Just for the detox stuff for jobs. Are you talking about restaurants? Are you talking about like fulfillment what centers? What ever, type of jobs are work? Uh, <laughs> so Felony friendly jobs. So restaurants, mm -hmm. definitely McDonald's, uh, fast food, phone rooms are very popular out here in Arizona. Right. Um, uh, hard labor jobs, landscaping, mm -hmm. construction, moving companies, uh, demolition. Um, a lot of those are felony friendly. Um, temp agencies that hire. Mm -hmm. um, so those types of things. Um so, a rule of thumb for how far from public transportation they need to be is it like half mile, one mile, train station, bus lines. Just want to make sure uh, I give. I some try to be as advice. close as possible, at least within a half mile to a mile. Uh, it has to be. They can get a bike and ride their bike to the public trans uh, mm. transportation. But if you guys want some of these rural areas that don't have the public transformation, they probably don't have uh, a lot of jobs available either. So. Got it. Got it. So let's, um, I know we talked about sober livings and we have behavioral health for sober living homes. Like what are you typically renting out from? Cause you're subletting them, right? What are you typically renting out these whole homes for? Um, and are you typically paying a premium, right? Cause that's, that's what a landlord is wants to know, right? Hey, am I going to get extra for renting out to a sober living operator or is it the same thing? What are, what are your thoughts um, there? So right now, since my business mentor, uh, is one of my best friends and he owns 215 houses. Um, 
I get them for a regular rental rate. But if I'm looking for a new investor, I do pitch uh, pitch people. I'll pay a, a, a hundred, couple hundred dollars more. Anything up to five hundred dollars, I will take care of. You don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the properties are in pristine shape. You can come and tour any of my properties anytime you want. Um, so you want to reverse engineer. You think as yourself as a landlord. What do you hate? You hate getting phone calls at three o'clock in the morning about the toilet. Uh, you don't want uh, your house to a whole bunch of wear and tear. I have 10 people that do chores daily that keep up with these houses and uh, keep it in pristine shape. Uh, uh, repairs, you don't want the AC repair, refrigerator repair, all these things. So you want to reverse engineer and think like a landlord. What would benefit a landlord? And then that's the direction that you go if you're trying to sublet some of these uh, properties. Got it. And how do you show that you're qualified, right? Are there licenses like registration, certifications and something like that to operate a sober living home? Um, I have a lot of referral sources now um, and it benefited me having Zach in the beginning. But uh, there is licenses that you get. I have websites. You can build yourself a website. You can get referral sources. You can do a lot of these things. Um, And you can tell them like, hey, you can just try it out for a month or three months and come check up on your property. Uh, I would love a lot of people. I don't do this personally, but a lot of people sign for two and three years to make it more beneficial to the landlord. I don't do that personally. Um, But uh, referrals in the real estate space, things that you've done. And, um, I have a good track record. So, but somebody brand new starting out, I would build yourself a website that has a caring name that doesn't say that I'm renting my house out to 10 drug addicts. (laughs) Well, but that's so, but that's why I think you have developed a sense of comfort and that reputation because you offered, Hey, come look at my homes. Right. And you can see how in pristine condition it, because, one of the biggest fights I'm trying to fight on the affordable housing side, especially on Section 8, is because people think like, oh, Section 8 people, they're just going to trash your homes and whatever. Right? I'm sure they might have the same uh, connotation or a negative stigma associated for sober living homes. That's not necessarily the case because you had developed a system. So you mentioned you have a house manager that helps you oversee the property and you are giving them a room for free, rent free. Then that's true. That's truly affordable housing and you're giving them a reason and putting them and giving them responsibility so that they like this just saying like people would do anything for others but not maybe for themselves you're giving them responsibility that they are now in charge of the well-being of some of the other folks in the home and that is just so cool man that's just like so mission driven that man i absolutely love that dude so another way to pitch it as well man is okay you have a five-bedroom house you're going to rent it out to a family of seven maybe you don't know how many people are going in there. You have a family of seven. Uh, I was, so you've been doing this a while. You've been a landlord. After they move out, what kind of damage has happened to your single family home after three years of a family of seven in there? A, a lot of damage, new carpets, new paint, new, new, a lot of new stuff. And I was just like, and you have no idea what's going on in there. But if you rent to me, I have a manager that oversees everything in this house. I have 10 people that is upkeeping your property daily. And you can come by anytime that you want to see what kind of condition that your property is in. 
Would you rather me that's taking care of your property uh, property daily and it's a requirement for them to live there? And I have a manager overseeing to make sure that gets done and you can stop by anytime you want. Or would you rather rent to uh, seven people that you can't check in on that you don't know what's happening? Right. That certainty has a piece of value to it that's almost um, immeasurable sometimes when you think about the reputation that you already developed in, in your local markets. So we talked about sober living again and behavioral clinic. How does one person decide like what should they pursue? Or do you recommend like, hey, start in sober living and then as you build your reputation, then you can start graduating, quote unquote, graduating to these higher sort of companies that are the clinics and they have insurance pay. What are your thoughts on that? Like, how would you advise someone new? Uh, so if you're just brand new, uh, so it's, it's hard for me cause I'm still sober. I still speak at AA meetings. I have a huge heart for these people and really want to see them uh, do better. I could care less about the money. The money's cool, but uh, me, I go above and beyond, man. Um, I have uh, so many people that have, uh, bounced out on me just this year. I've probably lost out on $50,000 of people that just, I let them stay for three weeks to catch up and then they just bounced out on it. But I put the person first. If you're just in it for as an investor trying to make money and your heart's not in it, I haven't seen those work really well. You can put a front person like me that has the heart and it, it can work. Um, but always put the person first and everything else will follow. Um, the easiest way to entry is a sober living home. It's uh, to me, it's it's easy. Um, I don't manage them now, but I was managing those 10 homes myself. I would spend three hours a week stopping by each house, seeing what condition that they're in, and then meeting with each manager to collect rent. Three hours, uh, 10 properties, and that was as, as much as my involvement was. Very easy uh, to manage if you have the right managers in place. Um, so it's very easy, and it's not... Uh, as intense to get the licensing for that. Um, the behavioral health side, there's a lot more red tape. Um, you're dealing with people uh, on the behavioral health side, you're doing uh, therapy and you're doing detox. You're doing uh, stuff that's a lot more intense. That is very, um, could be very volatile if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, I have doctors, nurses, therapists uh, that are on payroll that are, um, equipped to handle that type of thing. Um, so if you want to pursue it is very beneficial. The sober living homes, you're making, uh, you're grossing 7,800 at full capacity. Uh, the behavioral health side, I have commercial locations. You could do inpatient, you could do commercial and you can range. Uh, it's not like this anymore, but uh, eight months ago I was I was netting $100,000 uh, a month on a three-bedroom wow. house, just one three-bedroom house. What? Things have changed, wow. and it's not so. like that anymore. Um, but now it's it's an average of, depending on what services you provide, you can make anywhere from $200 to $1,000 per person per day, depending on the services that you provide. The private insurance sector, um, you have to cater to the higher end type of people. And my wife worked at a place where they were billing like $10,000 a day per person. They had personal chefs, personal massage therapists, and um, oxygen bars, and all of these crazy things. Uh, 
but that was with private insurance that they were getting 10,000 a day per person. Man, that those are insane numbers. And at the same time, I think I really resonate with your message. It's like, hey, don't be a slumlord. Take care of the people first. And that is really how the world works. Um, you will be repaid. Like I, I kind of have a mission. Like, hey, I want to help a billion people. Crazy number, right? But I was like, you want to help a billion people. You don't think they'll give you a dollar each when time comes? That's how you become a billionaire. So that's like my motto. And I love that you and I are on the same page about like, dude, go above and beyond help them as much as possible. And it'll come back to you in ways that you will never have imagined. And I'm sure that people are taking care of your assets because look, you're taking care of them. So they will, I mean, it's just so cool, man, listening to your story and how great of a person you are. Like you, you leverage your past experience and you apply it in a way that you know will hit your tenants for lack of a better words, like so deep in their heart that they will really resonate with you and be on your side. So that is so cool, man. Um, it's not, uh, it's not, I pour my heart out to these guys. Like I said, I've lost $50,000 to these people and they can care less that I gave them an mm -hmm. opportunity, but that doesn't deter me away um, from helping the next person um, because there are those individuals that I give this opportunity to that are flourishing and making a, a, a better and making a change in their families' lives, their kids' lives, and their communities. Uh, when I set out to do sober living, I came up in the slumlord where I was in a, uh, a sh back room that had 30 beds in one room. Oh. And it was a bunch of bunk beds. It was horrible. And then I went to another one and I was in, on a mattress with four guys in a room. We we're all on the floor and it was bad. Um, so I set out to be better than everybody out there. I wanted to give a product that I would be proud to live in. And it was amazing because my business uh, mentor who owns all the houses, he completely flips and remodels every single home that he buys. So it, it worked out that every house I get from him is completely remodeled. So um it worked out and that's what I still do to this day. Um, just give them a product that I wouldn't mind living in. I have movie theaters, pool tables, jacuzzis, pools uh, in these houses that um, they're really nice houses. And you are providing that environment now right, for people to actually get better. And I think that's just so important. And I love that you brought up like, hey, you have really high standards because you are philosophically aligned with your partners and like, Hey, this is the level of quality that I want to provide. And I think that's probably what has made you so successful. It's like you had very high standards and you found people and attracted the people that had those high standards. And I think that is driving so much of your success today, obviously not, not to discount any of your hard work, but you establish those standards and that's really, really, really cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the managers you have at your properties, right? The people, they're kind of your eyes and ears on the ground, for people that are out there that are looking for operators and also for in-house managers, how, I don't know, how did you pick them or do you interview them or what do you see in people that makes them qualify to be the house manager? Because that drives so much of your success. What, what's kind of your process for filtering and picking out the house managers? Just to be transparent, the first one that I picked that first one before, COVID happened. Um, the manager I picked, the house was full within a week or two weeks. Money was coming in. I collected money that first week. Uh, the next week I called him. 
he didn't answer my phone call uh, three times in a row. And I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And I show up to the house. The guy opens up the door with a big vodka bottle and he was a big MMA muscle guy. And I'm like, oh God. Oh no. And I went to the manager's room. He completely cleared out his room and he took all of the uh, rent money with him. And he was letting people do drugs and sell drugs out of the house. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, So it could be a hit or miss. Definitely interview. Um, What I found works for me now, I hire within now because I have so many of them. But if you're brand new, uh, people in sober livings, they genuinely want to see people do better and call around to other sober living homes and uh, call them, let them know what you're doing. Like, hey, I need a manager. Is there somebody that you would recommend that wants to take that next step in their sobriety and their journey and have their own room and have a little bit more responsibility um, in the and yeah, so are, do you know somebody? So call other sober livings and uh, nine times out of 10, they genuinely want to see people do better and move forward in their progress. So um, it's a good, good place to uh, look. And it's as simple as just Googling other sober living homes, right? And calling them. Like, I, I don't want people to, that's so simple. But that, I think that takes a lot of the fear out of the system, right? Not only did you show, tell the story like, hey, bad things do happen, but it's not about how you dwell on it, it's about how you respond to it and you've gotten smarter and now you're probably saving someone that's listening to this podcast right now like a whole week's worth of rent at the minimum <laughs> to make sure that they're filtering out uh for for the right folks there so what types of responsibilities can a house manager expect to take on for you are they collecting rents like doing maintenance stuff uh, all those items as well are they screening the tenants or do they check with you like hey i'm about to let this guy in or this woman in is it okay with you? How do you manage your, your, I don't. So in the beginning, uh, I didn't really micromanage. Um, I had systems and processes in place, um, requirements of them posting and social media and going to meetings and posting, trying to get their house full. Um, their job duties, uh, Make sure nobody's dying in the house. Make sure chores are getting done. They do all of the contracts for new people that come into their house. Show them the rules, the contracts, and what is expected of them and make sure that gets done. They uh, collect rent. They do the books um, of how much is owed, um, what was paid, and then they write receipts out to the individuals. They keep their own books and then they give me my book. So there's three different book taking happening there. Um, and that's going to be the majority. They have to drug test these guys um, randomly. Uh, they We have a system in place. Like if these guys need jobs, they have we have connections now f- to help these guys. If they need interview clothes, um, if they need um, resume building, if they need if they're willing to do hard labor labor, we have a bunch of connections there. Um, so these managers, they have a minimum of six months uh, of sobriety um, to be the managers. And now I have an area manager and it, it lucked out. He is also a handyman. He's done AC, he's done plumbing. He can fix and build and do all of these crazy things. And uh, he's now doing all of my intake. So I no longer have to pick up the phone. He gets all of the new people, all of the new clients, uh, does all of the onboarding. 
and he's a, a handyman and he keeps uh, all of my other managers uh, in line. So I only meet with him an hour um, once a week and I pay him under the table 500 a week to do all of that. Wow, man. Like that, you got like an all-star team, dude. <laughs> That's like a truly an all-star team because they're taking care of anything. And it's like, it's so passive for you now. Um, and now you get to continue just coming out here and share the story. But I think, again, it goes back to the standards that you just established. And the environment that you're creating that allows you to be successful and probably that's probably what attracted all these people to your team right they see the great things that you're doing and now they're like hey how do i become a part of this patrick and and now they're making your life so much easier this is so cool um i, I love where this is transforming um maybe let's go into the part about problematic folks right because that's the number one fear most people have when it comes to silver living it's like hey what happens when a guy shows up with a bottle of vodka and he's like, he's really scary. How do I handle those problems? Like what if the house manager can handle those problems? So maybe can we talk a little bit about one stories of people, difficult people that you've had to deal with? How'd you do it? Because that helped us remove the fear from some investors looking to get in silver living. They're like, okay, this has happened. If this happens, this is how Patrick handled it. So I'm not as afraid anymore. Let's do you have any stories of like that on how you handled uh, or dealt with difficult people? Uh, that was the most difficult situation, a big muscle MMA guy. I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to upset this guy. Um, again, people have that. Uh, the, they think that the house is going to be tore up. Um, I had a, a, a situation where two guys were horse playing. An elbow went through the drywall. And it was funny enough, the guy's elbow who went through the drywall, he did drywall for a living and he fixed it himself. And I was <laughs> like, oh, that's amazing. Um but the thing in how many, almost four years now, I've had uh, two overdoses and that's, um, I train my manager. So uh, all of my managers, they get CPR certification, they get CPR mm -hmm. first aid qualified um, and certified. And they're also Narcan um, certified, which is um, if somebody is overdosing on opiates, heroin or oxy or any of those, they are trained to know how to deal with that. And if somebody is overdosing, what you do in those situations. And I have it readily available in multiple locations in the house. I have the breakaway box where it has the shot and the nasal uh, and different locations. So it's easy to get to in case these situations. Uh, but those are the most difficult um, situations is somebody overdosing. And I've heard many stories of people dying in, uh, in these houses. And funny enough, the repercussion of these uh, things, I've never heard of anything happening because I didn't force them to take the drug. I didn't give them the drug. Yes, it's happening on at my house, but um, it's that situation. Like I didn't force them to do that. I didn't tell them to do that. And I haven't seen, knock on wood, I haven't seen any kick back any lawyers or anything happen and never heard of anything happening as of yet man that is so great that you actually provide narcan i used to be an emt so i did that for five years i've had to give narcan to patients and i just realized like how lack of supply is out there and education is out there for people like to learn how to do this and you are literally saving lives by having these items on site on hand so people actually know what to do because these are dude this is life-saving like this is literally life-changing stuff that you have on site 
to help these folks not only to get to the next step in their life, but also to prevent them from passing away from some of these, um, these mistakes. So this is really cool, man. Um, so we talked about the house managers. How about for your leases and your contracts with your tenants? What are you putting it in place that might be different than like a standard long-term rental contract? Are you putting in stipulations like, hey, you have to stay sober? Uh, what do you do there that's different? So uh, all the real estate people that watch this, all of my real estate peeps, they are like, oh God, no. Uh, to be full transparent, my contracts say, if you look at me wrong, I can kick you out. Um, if you don't pay rent, if you don't do a chore, I can kick you out for whatever I want. Um, but realistically, if a tenant wanted to, uh, take me to court for the landlord tenant act or the landlord tenant laws, they could possibly win if they've been with me for over the 31 days or whatever it is. But again, um, they've never come after me. So my contracts, I, they're extensive, um, that's, uh, there's a no refund policy, um, that you're paying these types of fees. I am not responsible for anything that happens. You sign away all liability. You're giving me a pool waiver. Um, you're, I can kick you out for all of these different reasons. Uh, these are all of the house rules. This is the medication that you're taking. So my, uh, my contract when they first come, come in is 54 pages, um, 54 pages long of all of the rules, all of the, they sign, they sign their name away a lot. <laughs> got it. Got it. And when you need to like, for lack of better words, like kick them out because like they didn't follow your rules. Like, have you had issues with enforcing it or what does that process look like when you, when you did have to unfortunately get people out of the house there has been issues but i mean um law enforcement in our area they're used to it so if you call the cops they have no lease in place they have no rights um sometimes their mail is there um i would suggest a, a p.o box so they don't receive mail there um but if you tell uh police enforcement that they have drugs on them or they use drugs underneath this roof and they are putting other people's lives at risks uh, at risk that um, they usually remove those individuals. Got it. And you usually show like, Hey, this is the lease or agreement we have with them. They validate the terms of the lease. So we have to kind of transition, but you don't just kick them out, right? You also do other stuff like, Hey, we do not. Um, we, we try not to kick out. Um, that's like the last resort. If mm -hmm. they uh, come up dirty on a UA or if we catch them using in the house, um, we offer them uh, a ride to detox. Um, we can only help them as far as they're willing to help themselves. And mm -hmm. the only way that we're going to help them is if they go to detox. We even keep their bed up to uh, five days so they can go to detox and come back and still have a bed. Uh, very few people do that, mind you. And, uh, yeah. but the things we don't tolerate, I mean, I, so I might be contradicting if they use drugs underneath my roof, I take that like a complete slap in the face and I will not let you back at, to one of my homes. I will call somebody and let them know the situation. They can decide if they want you or not. But if you put 
nine other people's uh, lives at risk because you wanted to be selfish and use underneath my roof. I have no tolerance for that. Um, but if they come up dirty on a UA, um, we'll send them to detox and we'll try to work with them. But uh, if it's physical, if they put their hands on my manager, if they put their hands on somebody else, uh, we don't tolerate that. We can, if my manager's at one of my other houses, I let them know the situation like, hey, he got into it with this dude. I want to move them here. Are you okay with that? If they're okay with it, I give the power to my managers. I'm not going to make them do anything that they feel uncomfortable with. So um, I give it, I give the power to them. And if they're willing to take, uh, take them, then we uh, place them in uh, another sober living. But um, if they put their hands on my managers or if it was really bad, then we refer them somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's, also, it speaks to like you truly have a helping hand because you're, even though you might be, you might have to just remove them from the home, you're still helping them look for a place. You like all the things that you have talked to me about throughout the podcast now is like you have always gone above and beyond to make sure like there is a helping hand, that there's support for the folks in your house, and you expect an equal respect back um, towards you and your house managers. And I think that's a very, very fair ask considering how much you are helping them in their lives to help them get back on the right track. Um, you mentioned something about mail. Do you allow folks to get mail or this is the PO boxing? Why should someone allow people to send mail to their home or why shouldn't they allow someone to send? I still let them, they do it without asking me. So, I mean, they, I still get mail to, uh, we take felons, but the two that we do not take are pedophiles and arson because they have to register, uh, their name with all of the neighbors. And I don't want that. Uh, I don't want that. Um, but it would be easy to get a, uh, U UPS mailbox that doesn't have a PO box, but a lot of these guys come to me uh, fresh off of probation or parole and they need a address. So I let them use my address, but I have heard of people saying, uh, well, I get my mail here. I've lived here for a month, so you can't kick me out type of thing. And if you want to try to alleviate that, then you can get a UPS uh, number, but you're picking up the mail or the manager has to go there, pick it up and just an extra step yep uh yeah completely understand there um let's well for, for some of these amenities or how like if someone wants to be hey i also want to be a high standard high quality uh sober living operator like you mentioned the amenities earlier like pools and um pool tables exp like all these additional expenses right what does your typical operating expense look like is it more expensive because you have a sober living home or are things just still pretty typical, like for a long-term rental? Except, hey, if you have a pool, yeah, obviously you have pay pool maintenance. Like, what does operating expenses look like for you? Because, are you providing like cleaning supplies to uh, your folks, like personal hygiene stuff? What are you providing? Uh, yeah. So me, my, I just recently hired a business coach, and he was like, something has to change. You have to give or take or da 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 da. And I was like, oh. God. So he's the one who wanted me to up my prices. He said, you didn't up your prices for three years. Um, and me personally, not all sober livings do this. Uh, I provide um, hygiene. Well, let me backtrack. So I'm also the president and founder of a nonprofit called Soul Revival Inc. Um, and we help 
a bunch of people. Uh, we have a food pantry that's open to the public. Um, we help with furniture, uh, food, hygiene, we clothes, anything you can think of, my nonprofit helps. Um, so that's another service and another thing that I'm able to offer to the people that move in. If they don't have food, my nonprofit could provide food to them. They can come to the food pantry. I have hygiene kits. So if they come to us, need hygiene, we're able to supply the hygiene kits um, and uh, amongst a lot of other things. So me, my sober living, we provide hygiene if needed. Um, we provide all of the cleaning products, uh, free internet, uh, cable, um, and then the pool, uh, the pool and jacuzzi is obviously it's an extra cost. So it does cost more, but on top of that, which sucks is your liability insurance. It goes, oh, yeah. it goes up. It's already a high risk business. And then when you involve a pool and a jacuzzi, it goes, your insurance goes up. Got it. That's super, super helpful. So just like all, all businesses are, you got to consider it, but Hey, there is a reason you're successful. And I want to attribute some of that to like, Hey, the quality of the environment that you're providing, because you're truly helping people. I, maybe let's talk about some numbers, man. How many people do, do you think you've helped now so far in like the last like three, four years of doing sober living? Do you track like how many tenants have come through your properties at all? Rough range. Um, I just recently, um, with my business coach, we have a mission and a goal and KPIs and all of this fun stuff that I kind of skipped over because I move really fast. Um, yep. But now we have a mission. Yours is a billion, which is like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, but we set up our one year, two year, five year of how many people that we would like to help and how many doors that we would like to do. And now we are keeping track of that, but easily... Um, they stay with us close to three months. So times four where we have a uh, hundred beds right now and we've had a hundred beds since the beginning. So um, a hundred, I've helped a lot of people and it's, it's the ripple effect. I wish I would have kept up with it. And anybody who is starting that, please keep in mind if you're, I didn't know this stuff, but for the grants that are out there for, uh, for nonprofit sake, for grant sake, if you keep records of your demographic of age, um, of race, of uh, what area, how many people you've helped and keep all of your financial separate and not just one entity, then there's grants that you can get because now you have a proven track record of how many people, what demographic, what age and all of those things. And also uh, I'm not above it, but you are now, you have a successful business. I run at a net profit of uh, a net of 28% on my sober livings and it's in a uh, single family home. So now it is a business. So not only do you have a single family home that's valued at 400,000, you now have a company that's producing a net profit of 28%. Any investor out there, they're your regular ones, not your private money lenders that know about real estate, but your doctors and your lawyers and stuff, they want to see anywhere between five and 10% is amazing. If you have a business that's producing 28% percent net profit on top of it, you can now sell it as a company. And it's 
steps. That's what I'm oh now doing. God. That is what I am now doing. Separating all of my houses instead of having it all under one LLC. And um, a buddy of mine, real quick, a buddy of mine, this is the behavioral health side. He does uh, veteran old people home, does different things like that. He started up, he had 15 homes. He bought the properties and uh, created the home and he got it up and going. All of the houses full within eight months, found an investor, sold it for $30 million in uh, less than the year. Whoa, mic drop there. Woo. $30 million in less than a year, man. Like I was like, whoa, that is amazing. Um, and that amount of time. And he just set it up, got it full, had very tight financials and- mm -hmm. So well, Patrick just saved the everybody. Property. The property came with it, but the property, the business, the the, the clients, thirty million. And well, everybody owes you thirty million right now, Patrick, for dropping oh that God. gem right there. You are bringing <laughs> a lot of uh, gems out of me, man, that I haven't said before. So, no, this is so cool because I think now, folks, this is also a mindset conversation, right? Because you just mentioned, like, hey, all these doctors or these more affluent inv investors, they're only looking for five to ten percent. So now. The excuse is no longer, hey, I have no money. I can never do this. I can never buy a home. Patrick has literally laid out all these different options for you to consider. One, you can just be an operator. You can rent out a home, sublet it. Very, very much lower cost than trying to buy a home. Or you can partner up with someone, JV with Patrick, and say, hey, this is one of my partners. Patrick has a lot of experience. He has a true, kind, hard as mission-based towards his cause. And he has a track record. So now people can JV with you and say, hey, even though I've never done this, I believe in this mission so much that I'm willing to go raise capital to partner with Patrick on something. Or Patrick is just like, hey, look, this is a very good case study of someone that made $30 million all while helping people because they were helping veterans. And I'm sure there are so many different specific populations that our listeners right now care about. Maybe you have someone in your family that is recovering addict. Maybe you have someone that in there that is a veteran that needs support or elderly. Like you have so many choices now and that's the beauty of affordable housing. It's so broad that you can figure out how you want to help and contribute to the cause. And that is amazing. Well, and I mean, it, it, there's so many people that need help out there. Think about mm -hmm. if there is a nonprofit for it, most likely there is a need for housing. And just to give you a certain, for instance, uh, cancer patients, uh, people in wheelchairs, uh, amputees, uh, they might only have like one arm there. There's housing that is needed for those individuals out there. Um, and behavioral health and mental health. There's such a broad, there's a huge range. If you suffer from mental health, there is so bipolar, um, schizophrenic. I mean, just think of all those things. They need help with housing. Uh, so like if there is a diagnose out there, if there is a nonprofit out there, um, it goes, and if you have a passion for it, because you might have somebody suffering from a number of these things in within your family or a close friend, and there's housing that is needed for all, all walks of life, all these different individuals. And when you have a passion behind something and you truly care about it and it, it just, it flourishes, you can see it. You, you can tell um, that this person really cares about it. 
And now that I've been in this thing now, there's so many cool opportunities that you could do, not just provide housing. There is art therapy. There is music therapy. Um, there is uh, my mom had a company. It was a mentoring company where she would go pick somebody up, take them out to eat, take them to the movies, take them to the aquarium and then drop them back off at their house. And insurance will pay you for that. And it's just like, oh my God, this is crazy. Uh, a friend of mine works at a nonprofit for a cross fitness gym. He just got approved to be able to teach uh, CrossFit and get paid by insurance uh, insurance companies for it. And it's just like, oh my God, the the what you can do if you have a passion for it, what you can provide to individuals to help their well being and show them what's really out there is uh, it's endless. Um, it's, there's so much opportunity and so many people that need help. It's, uh, it's amazing. My new company that I'm creating, it's, uh, two different sectors. It's called invest with a purpose, which is going mm. to be that you can JV partner and it's investing with a purpose and you could see it. And then I also have, uh, with a purpose housing, which is, uh, I'm not going to let that one out yet, but I am going, going to be going nationwide. Um, I'm looking at three markets currently, and there is opportunity to JV to invest to do all of these things. And uh, I'm building up my team currently to be able to take on because, as you know, the sub two community 10,000 strong in every state known to man. So, um, I have boots all over the uh, I have boots on the ground everywhere, and um, I want to take this thing. Um, nationwide and help as many people and keep track of not when I help an individual, it's not only helping them, but it's helping their kid, their family. Uh, and it's a ripple effect. So it's so hard to know how many lives that you have changed and how to track that. Um, but I have some hefty five-year goals of to help a, a lot of people and to have a lot of doors. Man, dude, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. Um, I think what everyone can take away from this is like your why needs to be so important. And when Patrick went through that list of all the disabilities, mental health disorders, whatever you want to do and whatever you want to care, that why is so important because look, Patrick could have given up after like someone like after all these, after he lost 50 grand this year, he could have been like, Oh, this is horrible. Let me move on. But that why was what's so important. And that's what kept you going. So for look, whatever path you, you guys pick for the listeners out there, it's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. You're going to lose money at some point. That's just the nature of the business. But that's why your why needs to be way more important to keep you going even when those hard times come up. And Patrick, the story I tell all the time is like, look, my, I'm first generation Chinese immigrant. My dad came over with a thousand dollars in pocket. My mom made like three dollars an hour for first job. There's one night where she. Where they had five thousand dollars out, they were getting ready to bring that home back to China to repay some of the relatives that helped them get over here, but they got robbed that night. They got, they lost $5,000 and dude, that was like the, their entire years of, of work and lost them one night in cash. And that was like rock bottom for them, man. But the only thing that kept them going was that she was on a wait list for affordable housing, even though the wait list was like seven years, man, that gave her hope. And when she got her affordable housing unit, man, she was in tears. She was crying because that meant her kids would be under a roof that is safe from burglars 
And that kept her going. So that's why I imagine everyone I put into an affordable housing rental now as helping someone like my mom who just didn't know English, not someone that's like trying to trash your home or the stigma that we're trying to overcome, but it's for someone that's generally trying to make a change. Just like what you're doing for, for your people, right? You're actually helping them. You're making a difference in their lives and you give them an opportunity. And that trickle effect is so important, man. I can't thank you enough for, for what you do for on the affordable housing side, because without people like you, man, like seriously, someone like me would have never been where I am today without the saber roof over my head. So thank you, man. Seriously. That's amazing. And kind of, uh, uh, shit, I'm ADHD, so I bounce everywhere. So uh, going back to the stigma, like you said, uh, Section 8 housing. When I was serving tables, this guy was in real estate. We got to talking and he was like, he's in Section 8 housing. And of course, I had no knowledge. I was like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. you have those horrible people destroying your house. And why would you do that? And he was just like... (laughs) I'm glad you think that. So does everybody else. He's like, I've been doing this for 20 years and they are by far the best tenants you will ever have. Just like you said, your mom waited seven years to get that. uh, I don't know if it was section eight, but to get that affordable housing, people are on a wait list and have to jump through so many hoops to get on section eight, to get that housing. And they do not want to ruin that all that that they did. So they stay there. They take care of their house. They have pride in it. Now they have ownership Mm -hmm. and they don't want to destroy your house or be hoodlums or get crazy with the neighbors because they could lose that seven years of getting on that freaking list um, to get that affordable housing. And um, it's a situation people, it's, it's a funny stigma, but um, my houses are, <laughs> they're beautiful. And me, I have regular rentals. I have Airbnbs now and, oh my God, man, I, <laughs> Airbnbs yeah. are, they are needy and they want stuff and they trash your property and, uh, regular rentals. I had somebody for a year in a regular rental and I come back to it, new carpet, new paint, new refrigerator, new countertops. I'm like, good God. This is crazy. Every every dollar that I thought I made <laughs> that year, gone. <laughs> but I think that's why it's so important, man. You you were giving your your folks like dignity in the home that they're growing up in, and I think that's why they respond so well to you and they treat your property with respect. It's like, oh, I'm actually proud that I'm living here in a nice home, and that's why we stress so hard. Like, don't be a slumlord, actually, or help out. And you know, we talked about the stigma and. Patrick, like, this is a question like, I ask everybody when they come onto the podcast. Like, why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? Do you think it's really like the stigma that we have to overcome? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, why do you think is affordable housing so hard to solve for? And I don't know, you have any ideas like how you would solve well, it or I approach mean, that problem? Affordable housing is so hard because there's all these hoops that you have to jump through to get on the Section 8 and to do these things. And affordable housing there there's not much affordable housing out there. If you look at the Arizona market right now, uh, they're building all these uh, low income uh, touch your neighbor houses. But even then uh, rent is still over a thousand dollars. I just had a, a, somebody sent me a, a two bedroom in a horrible neighborhood for 17 or $1,800 a month for a two bedroom. Like people that are, getting paid minimum wage, they can't afford that. And so it's hard with our economy, minimum wage, and the amount that jobs are paying right now 
and there's not many options. Neighbors are our worst enemies in sober livings. They hate us. They can't do nothing about it because I've gotten all the licensure and all of this. They, they can't do anything and they can't discriminate. Uh, the, the landlord tenant act and the, this, uh, I forget the other one right now, but we're a protected class. So they can't discriminate. They can't really do anything, but neighbors hate us just because of that stigma. And it's hard to get our types of housing, the shared living and affordable housing. It's, it's hard to do without the community trying to band against it. So there's not a lot out there. There's a huge homeless pandemic, uh, the huge opiate pandemic. It's, um, not enough options out there. Um, we're just me and you doing this for people. We're a drop in the bucket. I have 35 doors um, across the valley and I have close to uh, 200 beds. And again, it's just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. And I think with this being such a massive problem, this, this is why I started a podcast, man. So like people like you and I can come on share the stories, share, share the bad stories, most importantly, right? Because I can't really resonate with people that's like, oh, I got like 5,000 doors. I can't resonate with that. But for you and I to come on and share our stories and tell people, hey, I'm not that far ahead of you. Like Patrick, you've been doing it for about four or five years. It's very achievable for someone that wants to make a difference and, and contribute to this problem because look, affordable housing is such a big problem. It's going to need to be attacked from so many different angles, from so many people. And Man, I'm just so glad you came onto the podcast to share your story, share all these nuggets and wisdom with all the all the investors out there. So, I think this might be a good time to wrap up, man. Because I hope I can bring you back on and sh hopefully you can share your story again in the year, man, and just like show people how fast you can grow in a year and how many more people because you're going to be tracking it now. Like how many more people have you helped in that year? And I think it's going to be really, really cool story to tell, man. So, hey, if people want to reach out to you, man, how can they get in touch with you? What are you looking for for help in your business? What can where can people plug into your business? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at The Sober Investor. Um, check out our uh, nonprofit. We always need mm -hmm. help with the nonprofit. Um, it's uh, soulrevivalinc.org. Check out the nonprofit. Okay. Um, we always could use help there. And um, I'm looking to partner JV, looking at deals. I do, uh, I'm trying to get more creative deals just because of the mm -hmm. way that the market is right now. The markets that I'm currently looking at that I'm probably going to go into, I need to choose one. Uh, I'm looking at Florida, Georgia, and Texas. Uh, and then um, I JV, um, I partner, and I have a coaching program coming out. The new company is going nice. to be invest with a purpose and with a purpose housing um, that's going to be coming out. And that's just like what we talked about today. Don't just invest your money. Put your money where it's actually helping people where you can see the difference and you can see a mm -hmm. change and you're helping a, a larger, something larger than yourself. Um, and yeah, um, now we'll be sure so to link all those. Sure sure to net too, uh, is the is a website as well. Um, but yeah, but the message I always like to give to these things, guys, it doesn't matter where you come from. I came from a horrible background, three-time felon, homeless multiple times. I was a drug addict from 11 to 23. And not did did I uh, I never once let any of those things uh stop me from what uh my future could be. 
It never stopped me from getting a job. It never stopped me from owning my own business. None of those things ever came into play. And I knew um, if there was a will, there was a way. And so uh, stop using excuses. If you use any of those different excuses, stop. Um, and you can start. It doesn't matter what your past was. It matters what you do from here on out. You can start fresh, brand new today and help out a lot of people, especially in the affordable uh, housing um, aspect. So please uh, reach out if you guys have any questions and um, let's go help some people, man. All right. Make sure you follow at the silver investor on all the socials. This was an amazing conversation it was touching. It was warming. It was inspirational. And you gave so many tactical advice, dude, I can't thank you enough. And I can't wait to bring you back on the show, man. Thank you so much, Patrick. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. And it was a pleasure.